So today, does that sound right? Everybody hear me okay? Okay, good. Today we're going to study chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession of Faith titled, Of Christ the Mediator. And we're going to be, we're not going to be bashful today. We're going to have a lot of questions and answers. So we want to work together and be interactive and learn as much as we can about this section. There are eight sections that we're going to study. We're going to do four this week and Justin German is going to do four next week. So he gets the hard ones. <laughs> I think they're all difficult actually. Uh, let's start. Let me, let me open us with prayer real quick. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for uh, the saints that are in here today. Lord, please bless us, keep us, and Lord, please uh, uh, show us with your Holy Spirit uh, what you want us to hear, and please open our hearts and our minds. And Lord, we thank you for who you are and who we are in you, and forgive us our sins. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, the first question, like I said, is going to be a line of questions. Who is a mediator, and what do mediators do? Right. Yep. Yep. Argue on behalf, bring two parties together. Think of the synonyms arbitrator, arbiter, negotiator, conciliator, go between, middleman, intermediary, moderator. Right. And what they do. Transitive verbs and intransitive verbs. Remember in English, direct objects and indirect objects and all. Becky can explain that. She got a master's in English. To bring a court out of by action as an intermediary, to affect by action as an intermediary, to act as an intermediary agent in bringing and affecting or communicating, to transmit as an intermediate mecha mechanism or agency, to interpose between parties, to reconcile differences. Hopefully after these first four sections we discuss, we'll see that Christ is all of those. All right. Welcome, William. <laughs> we will study the first four sections as, as we as I read and study those chapters or those sections, kind of put Christ as the ultimate mediator and then just uh, put points that were Summary titles regarding the key points. First section is one mediator between God and man. Section two be being both God and man. Section three, full of the Holy Spirit. Section four, willing to mediate on earth and in heaven. Let's dive right into section one. One mediator between God and man. It pleased God in His eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, His only begotten Son, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, the priest, the king, the head and savior of His church, the heir of all things, and judge of the world, and to whom He did from all eternity give a people to be His seed and to be by Him in, time, in the time redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and glorified. Like I said, questions, here they are. How do we know there is one mediator? What's that? Yeah, from Scripture, right. And here they say, they, you know, you point to what also is in the Westminster. It says to be the mediator, right? Not a mediator, 
Someone read 1 Timothy 2.5 for us. As we were just saying, the scripture says. Exactly. That's why I was wondering, the Bible says so, right? <laughs> Who ordained the Lord Jesus as mediator? Right. What roles did God assign to Jesus as mediator? Is this the, yeah. What do we see here? I'm trying to help here. <laughs> yep. The prophet, the priest, the king, the head and savior of his church. All right? The prophet, as the prophet, he's our teacher, as the priest, he's our mediator and our only hope. As a king, he is our uh, defender and ruler. And he's our head and savior of his church. We think about that, it really, really should make us the way we, the way we worship, the way we treat others. The way we live our lives and our vocation, the way we are as family, we should always seek His will diligently and constantly in all we do, right? Because He is the head and Savior. What is the Lord Jesus the heir of? All things, right? What is He the judge of? The world, that's right. What did God give him as a gift? Us. <laughs> yeah. What is the Lord Jesus doing for them? Doing for us? Mm -hmm. All of that, right? Redeemed, called, justified, sanctified, and one day glorified. Section 2, being both God and man. The Son of God, the second person in the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did, when the fullness of time was come, take upon him man's nature with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof. Yet without sin, being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, in the womb of the Virgin Mary of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion, which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. At what point did the second person of the Trinity also become man? So when we think of the fullness of time, what do you think of when you think of the fullness of time? <laughs> What's that? Yep. The perfect timing of God too, right? His providence and His, his timing. What did taking on man's nature involve? Right there, someone read. Essential properties and common infirmities. 
I've been working on my horse fence the last few weeks, and I promise you, I know what the common infirmities feels like. <laughs> and the sore hands, the back, the shoulders. You know, he, Christ felt that probably as the, as the uh, a carpenter, right? It hurt when he got a splinter. Hopefully he never hit his fingers with his hammer, but uh, I'm sure that probably happened. And his essential properties, what are we talking about when we say his essential properties as man? Physical, right? What was different about Jesus as man from the rest of mankind? No sin, right? Someone read First Timothy two five for us. Huh? Did we just read that? Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I got it written down here, and I meant to Hebrews four fifteen. First mistake of the day. Well, probably not the first mistake. Yes. And in the book, Van Dixhorn says, but he took a human nature, not a fallen human nature. He took our nature without the sin of our nature, sin assaulted, but did not conquer his mind or body. As the writer to the Hebrews notes that we just read with John, our mediator is not one who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. On the contrary, we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Jesus would bear our sin, but it would always be our burden that he carried and not his own. We must never forget, this is, a, this is a tough one for us to really comprehend, we must never forget that a chasm of difference exists between being tempted to sin, being tempted to sin, and falling into temptation. I mean, it's just... Why is it important that Jesus be both God and man in carrying out his mission from God. Mm-hmm. I mean, Christ is as man had to satisfy the covenant of works, right? He had to satisfy perfect obedience. He had to be a man to do that. He had blood atonement, right? His blood atoned us for our sin. He had to be able to bleed. He had to die as a human. And then as God, he was he conquered death. He could not do that as a human. Right? Section 3. The Lord Jesus in his human nature thus united to the divine was sanctified and anointed with the Holy Spirit above measure having in him all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge 
in whom it pleased the Father that all fullness should dwell, to the end that being holy, harmless, undefiled, and full of grace and truth, he might be thoroughly furnished to execute the office of a mediator and surety, which office he took not unto himself, but thereunto called by his Father, who put all power and judgment into his hand, and give him the commandment to execute the same. So what did the Holy Spirit do? What else? Yep. Above measure too, right? We think of above measure exceedingly, right? So is so much you can't even measure it, right? Why was the action of the Holy Spirit important? This was in the book also. So Christ would be full of all good things necessary for effective mediatory intercession and for effective covenantal representation. I think one of the things we have to really think about, you know, I think about, and I've said it before in our Bible study, is that when Christ is full of Holy Spirit, Full of the Holy Spirit, his, he is in perfect, and he always is, in perfect communion with his Father, right? I mean, they're the same, right? Everything is the same. So when you talk about, another thing that really got me in this chapter too is when you see, um, point to it, surety, right? It made me think about it when I was, you know, as a construction guy. You know, surety bond or performance bond, and if you guys don't know, I'll explain it really quickly without boring you too bad. A performance bond is when, let's say that I'm going to go do a job for a large corporation or a government agency, and let's say it's going to be $5 million. <clears throat> well, they've already allocated the money for that, and I'm going to be the contractor. The surety bond is cover, covers the, in, an, in the event that I can't finish the job or I go broke and then the performance bond kicks in. But in order to get a performance bond or the surety is you have to have very strong financial statements, strong financial being within the company and all of that because the surety bond doesn't mind charging a lot of money to get the bond, but they hope they never use it, right? They hope that you finish the job. In the case of Christ being the surety, he was the guarantor of the covenant, and he knew what the cost of serving as a guarantor would be, for he knew that we are perpetual covenant breakers, right? No matter how great the blessing, no matter how sweet the promise, men and women will not and cannot keep covenants, as Adam and Eve showed clearly when they broke the first covenant. So if I went to the bonding company and I said, 
I really want to do this $5 million job, but I have 20000 in my personal account and 20000 in this, and I've lost most of my customers. They'd say, see you later, go find somebody else. Christ was our surety knowing that we were not going to deliver, right? Thanks be to God. Hey, I did say well, he would not fall into temptation. He couldn't fall into temptation. Yeah. Right. Excellent. Anybody have any questions or comments? Section 4, willing to mediate on earth and in heaven. This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge. He was made under the law and did perfectly fulfill it. Endured most grievous tormentors immediately in his soul and most painful suffering in his body. Was crucified and died, was buried and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he rose from the dead with the same body in which he suffered with which also he ascended into heaven, and there sits at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. How did the Lord Jesus approach his mission from God? Willingly, already knowing what that involved, right? What did he endure on earth? Mm-hmm. Yep. Think about for a minute with uh, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, the bottom of the Mount of Olives, right before he knows he's about to be um, taken. Someone read Luke twenty two forty four. Please, always a please. <clears throat> yes. So in the garden, the hell of eternity entered time as God punished the sinless Savior with the punishments that our sins deserve. Beck and I were telling, I was mentioning this this morning to Beck, he's like, think about Christ is righteous, right? And now he's, the sins are being heaped upon him. How, how even worse that is in torment than for us, you know, being a sinner already. I mean, that is a big 
when the Lord Jesus is sweating blood? Only the nature of God. What's that? Oh. Thank, oh. I hit it with my... Yeah. I mean, he sweated drops of blood. Only Jesus as God could handle that, handle that weight. We have to think about that. The sins that were on him at that time, my sin, just the sin, John, everybody's sin, right, of the world, of the saints. And in death, it says this agony in his soul must have been the worst that Jesus endured, but it was not the most obvious. Think about the public scorn, right? The pain that all could see was a suffering in his body at the hands of the priests and Jewish leaders and then before Pilate and then before Herod and then before some soldiers, finally crucified before the crowds like a runaway slave and hanging naked in shame. He died. What happened on the third day? He rose from the dead with his same body in which he suffered, right? And then he bare witnesses. Someone read 1 Corinthians 15, 5, please. So his father, his father was pleased with, his, with Christ's work. All that was necessary for our salvation was accomplished, and so he raised our Savior from the dead and provided witnesses to testify, as Justin just read. What is he doing as our mediator in heaven? Mm-hmm. interceding for us. Have any anybody any questions? Because I thought I was doing all eight sections and I only had to do four, so I'm kind of finished over. yet saw no corruption, right? Again, that's his deity, right? He didn't, his body was not even coming apart as a human like it would for us after three days we'd be, you know. So I'm going to ask the question, one, I got a couple things. It was even actually in the other. Two more things. How is Christ's work as God's mediator comfort to us as believers? Okay. So, we 
Yeah, I think that, I think we all do, right? I would be surprised for somebody that thinks they have all the answers on that, but I think when I think about Jesus, I think, like you said, that's all we have, that Jesus the person, there's two distinct attributes of him or two distinct natures of him. He's God and he's human, right? And you're right, there's only one Christ ever. There's only one incarnation ever. You can have other things that have had, like you said, transfiguration and Elijah being on it, but it's only been one time when God came to earth and became human. So, yeah, it's, I mean, when you start trying to explain the Trinity, it gets very, very, very difficult. It's like I believe, we believe. Our heart has been changed by the Holy Spirit. We are the elect. We believe what we believe, but explaining it completely and understanding it completely, but I know it's true. Yeah, that's when I was really getting to is when the when the is it's two distinct natures of Christ, right? Yeah, that in itself and the unity of the nature is still like oh, okay, I can kind of explain it, but do I really truly fully understand it? Engineering is a whole lot easier. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And all, all, all three. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
I said all three, all three offices have the same nature. One part of, the, of common is God, right? Right, that's the same for him, right? Right, yep. Always has been. Well, the way I think, yeah, when I think about what you just said, there is it's because all three of those persons are handled, or is God's part of that, right? The nature of that. Christ is the only one that's human and and God. I mean, it's still, it's, again, it's difficult. So it's a biggest thing that makes the most sense to me that I can't totally explain all the time. So. I know what the Pythagorean theorem, I can tell you all about it, but you talk to other stuff. But. Of course, this is a lot bigger than the Pythagorean theorem. This is eternity, this is our salvation. right. Amen. That's a good thing, William. I've gone through mediation before, and I've never had a mediator like him. <laughs> they were not, they were not all in, anyhow. Yeah. No offense to anybody that may be a mediator in here, but um, 
I'm not going to steal much of Justin's thunder because thunder, it's Christ anyway. But on section 8, let me say, I'm going to do something. <laughs> this is what Bill's saying right in the middle of it. says, right, let me point to it. Right there. By the word. Effectually persuading them by his spirit, them being us, to believe and obey and governing their hearts by his word and spirit. Right? Even when we don't know it, he's effectually, thoroughly persuading us by his spirit and his word. That's why I say it over and over. The most important book to read every day, right here, his word. He will reveal himself to you. Anybody have anything else? And by the way, Becky helped me with a PowerPoint. <laughs> no, he was like, oh, wow, what a surprise. Let me say, let me, let me pray for us. Lord, how comforting it is to know that you're our mediator and you're perfect and you're omniscient and you're omnipotent and you love us more than we can ever imagine. Lord, continue to open our hearts and our minds to read your word each and every day, to learn more and more about you and dwell our body and our soul, the Holy Spirit, Lord, to continue to, re, to continue to sanctify us. Lord, we look forward to the day that we get to see you face to face. We thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you for Christ's prayers. Lord, Lord, may you bless today's service as we worship you, Lord. Remind us that you are a prophet. You are a priest. You are a king. Forgive us for our sins. Christ's name. Amen.